Now here comes our effort to cooperate with God in the beautiful thing he is doing in us. From Philippians chapter 2, we're talking about picture joy all through the book of Philippians and all through the summer. And we're taking photographs of joy and we're putting them on the walls and we're saying God is making us joyful people. I told the kids on Thursday, I think we have captured more joy in this room through this past week than we have in a long time, just hour after hour, day after day, so much joy bubbling here in this place. And I'm in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, if you have your Bibles. Today, shine like stars. Verse 12, Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Some of you know how special this text is to me personally. It connects to me being here for the last 17 years of my life. It's the passage God gave me. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. God did a wonderful thing in me. I had built a new home and lived in it four months. I'd bought 41 acres with a creek on the north and the east side. And we lived on the knoll in a new house that we had designed and built. And in four months, some people from First Baptist New Orleans came and said, we want you to consider being our pastor. And I had a bird nest on the ground. That is, I was really comfortable. And Janet and I prayed a little bit about it, and I told him I just really didn't think God was in it. And 
they came back and said we want you to pray about it so we did and Janet finally said you know David maybe we need to go to New Orleans and just see so we came to New Orleans and we were on the 11th floor something like that of a hotel in downtown it was 4 in the morning and I couldn't sleep and I was trying to think what is God doing here so I walked out on the balcony of our little hotel room and I looked up to see the stars like I did every evening on our farm in central Texas and I couldn't see any stars I was a little frustrated you know <laughs> now, where are the stars steam swamp smog I don't know I can't see the stars and then my eyes just fell to the lights that started at my feet and went from there every direction as far as the eye could see and God said to me these these are your stars now and I want you to come to New Orleans and help God's people shine like stars as they hold forth the word of life so God gave me this very specific call when I prayed and sought him about it and my call is to help you if you are a believer shine like a star in this community that's my call that's the pastor's call that God gave me and you know God has blessed in these 17 years in ways we could not have predicted and he's given us challenges in things we could never imagine but he has worked through it all to help us exalt his word in the community and I'm grateful for that and I feel like in answering God's call he has allowed not only a congregation but a community to see his word and, and I'm, I'm very privileged to just sit back and see what God is doing and there are three simple things in the text that I want to suggest to you they all have to do with the word out work out hold out and pour out work out what God works in hold out what God speaks in and pour out what God pours in this is what the apostle is saying to the people that he loves to the church that he loves from his prison where he is incarcerated as he encourages the church he says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling work out what God works in 
for it is God who is at work in you. You may not realize that at this moment, but God is at work in you. God is always at work, and he's at work in you. He's at work in you through the circumstances and relationships of your life. He's at work at you, in you through the ideas that he is planting in your mind, the things that you are learning, the spiritual truths that you are embracing. He is at work in you through the challenges that are difficult and even through the pain that you are suffering. God is at work in you. It is God who is at work in you now. There is good news about the work God is doing in you. It is twofold. He is, in, he is working in you both to will and to act according to his good purpose. So you need to mark it down. God is at work on your volition, on your will. You'll never shine like a star till he changes the motivation of your life, the longings of your life, so that you want what he wants. So he's at work in you to will and to do and to act. Both of these things. When I say work out what God works in, those are parallel words. God is acting in you, doing his work through you. And what he wants you to do is let it show. Let it show. That's what working out your salvation is about. God's changing you from the inside out. There are things that are different in how you think and how you feel, how you survey and perceive the world and your own situation, and you let that work out in your life in very practical ways. You've got to work out what God has worked in. God has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for me. I'm so grateful for God's purpose. God has a purpose for you. You need to latch on to that this morning. He can't do everything in you he wants to do in you, and he can't make you shine like he wants you to shine until you hold on to this truth that God has a purpose, and this purpose is good. When you see the word good, you think about true, right, and beautiful. Okay? Because God's good is, is true, and it is right for you, and it is beautiful. God has a purpose for you that is true, right, and beautiful. And he is acting in you to change your intentions and longing so that you want that which he wants. He's also acting in you to change your behavior so that your behavior conforms to the inside you. The hypocrisy in your life, if you are a believer, is not that you come to church and act like a believer. It's that you go out in the world and act like you're not. That's being untrue to yourself. That's the hypocrisy in you if you are a follower of Jesus. You want to go into that world out there and act like you are a believer, and then your behavior conforms to what God's done in you, to your inner life, to the willing and the doing that God 
is working in you. Work out what God works in and hold out what God speaks in. Now, the new NIV says, hold firmly to the word of life. And there's a little bit of discussion about whether this is hold forth or hold firmly. In the old NIV from 1984, this is an NIV, it's the new version because Eric was having trouble getting his old 84 version. So I changed Bibles to the new edition of the NIV. Well, in the new edition of the NIV, the, the translators decided they were going to translate this, hold firmly instead of hold forth or hold out. The idea is that you are holding a light and you have a firm grip on it and you're holding it out like this so you can see where you're going. Now, I would love to have a physical light on Thursday morning at 8.45 when I said to a little boy named David who was intrigued by an organ, I told him, I'm going to show you the inside of the organ. And he said, okay. So we had about five minutes before things started. And so we went over here and we went up the stairs and we went through a locked door and we went behind this screen and behind all those pipes into a room that's about 600 square feet and it has 4,000 organ pipes in it and it's built into different cabinets and there's little bitty doors and we wormed our way through all the little passages and around little posts and I could just barely get there because I'm bigger than he was and we finally got to the middle of the organ and the whole building lost electricity. <laughs> Poof. And little David and I were in pitch dark. We couldn't see anything. Is David here this morning? I mean, it was as dark as it could be, and neither one of us had a light. Now, that's a bad place to be, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I thought, God, what are you doing? I'm helping you a Sunday morning sermon. Just hang on, all right? <laughs> we are to have the light. We are to hold it firmly and we are to hold it forth, okay? Now, he starts this passage about hold out the word, hold firmly to the word. He starts it with no grumbling or arguing, okay? I don't know if you've identified yet how badly God wants you to quit grumbling. Have you realized it yet? I mean, God wants gratitude to grab your heart so completely and your mind so comprehensively that you are no longer grumbling, complaining, and all the time arguing. He wants that gone out of your life. That's why this whole thing starts with do everything, every single thing, without grumbling and arguing. That's what he says. You see that? That's verse 14. That's the first couplet. Gratitude. No grumbling, no arguing. Look, God knows that our grumbling and arguing really comes out of a heart that needs more gratitude in it. The joy's never going to flow. You're never going to be glad like you ought to be. 
as long as you don't have that seedbed of gratitude in you. And the grumbling and arguing fights against the gratitude in you. You got to bite your tongue, you got to catch yourself, and you got to say, Lord, deliver me from a grumbling, arguing, complaining spirit. That's the first thing. You're never going to shine like stars if people see you as a grumbler. God's trying to buff you up and make you bright, all right? You getting this? So let's set it aside. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. Why? So that you can become something blameless and pure. So that people can't point at you at work or at school and say, there goes the grumbler, there goes the complainer. All the time, I saw she's never satisfied. He's never satisfied. He can always find something bad, uh, bad mouth. That's his spirit. Look, that's not shining like stars. That's not who we are. We are people who embrace the future. We are people who have experienced the love and peace of God. We have something to say and something to show the world. And God's going to make you blameless as you do everything without grumbling and complaining and arguing and pure. He's purifying your motives, okay? He's making you pure. He's getting rid of all the stuff that doesn't belong in you, including the attitudes that don't belong in you. He's getting rid of those. He's in the process of purifying you so you can represent him well and shine more brightly. That's what he wants to do in you. If you're going to shine like stars, you got to be blameless and pure in a world that's warped and crooked. You see that? That's the third couplet of descriptors in this paragraph. Grumbling, complaining, blameless and pure. Warped and crooked. Do you know what the word warped is? It's the Greek word from which we get scoliosis. You can look at it and see, oh, that's the word scoliosis. Now I know where it came from. Some of us have spiritual and attitudinal scoliosis. Our backbone is curved morally in our character. And when your backbone is curved and not straight like it needs to be, everything about you is out of joint. All right? Now, it may surprise you to hear Paul the Apostle 2,000 years ago describing his generation as warped and crooked. He says, I want you to be blameless and pure in a generation that's warped and crooked. Maybe you thought we invented warped and crooked in the 21st century. Some of us are under the impression that warped and crooked is a new thing for the world. Nope. Nope. It's been warped and crooked a long time. And people who have been willing to set aside grumbling and complaining and arguing and to become blameless and pure as God does his work in them, they have gone up against the warped and crooked generation in which they lived time after time, year after year, century after century, right down to the present time when God is calling you to shine like a star in a warped and crooked generation. It takes determination to do it. That's why he says, as you hold forth the word of life, God is speaking something into you. 
It's his word. His word is precious to him. He sends his word to heal us. He sent his word, his son, to save us. And he, sent, he sends his word now to heal the broken places. It takes determination on your part to hold forth and to hold firmly the word of life. But this word which God speaks is life indeed to us. And he is calling us to a new determination to hold on. Lord, let us shine like stars in the universe as we hold forth the word of life. Everybody here knows how closely together we are tying word and deed in this body of believers. We have a theme from Galatians 5, 6, which is just a little bit earlier than the text I'm reading, which says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We want to hold forth the word of God. We want to shine brightly in this community where we live by both articulating the good news of Jesus Christ in an uncompromising way and completing its presentation and its exposition by living a life that conforms to what we have said. You don't really get the whole impact of the gospel until you see it fleshed out in your office, in your family, in your school, in your neighborhood. You can hear it. But somebody said, a picture's worth a thousand words, and for you to flesh out the words which you speak with a life that works out what God's working in in you, that, my friends, is powerful. And that's how you shine the brightest. It was Jesus who said, you are the light of the world. Let your light, he says, so shine before men that they may what? See what? What? Your good deeds. And glorify the Father which is in heaven. Now, somebody looks at you doing good in this community, and they're going to come up and pat you on the back and say, you're such a good person. Your philanthropy is really inspiring. I want my kids to be like you. You know, they're giving you praise. Well, you haven't articulated why you live the life out enough for them to get it. See, they're supposed to see your good works and glorify your father. You're not the glory hog. In fact, if they come to you and say, oh, man, you're such a good person, you say, oh, wait a minute. You should have seen me five years ago. You should have seen me before I met Jesus. You should have seen me before God did his work in me. I was a mess, and I'm still a mess. And any good thing I do, you give glory to God. Glorify the Father who is in heaven. Then we are properly reflecting what Jesus wants us to be and do letting our light shine so that people may see our good work, that is, working out what God works in, and give glory to the Father who has called us to this walk, empowers us in the walk, changes our will and our acting so our walk conforms to his good purpose.
hold out what God speaks in and pour out what God pours in. Paul changes there at the end and he starts talking about worship. We say here at First Baptist, we worship with our lives. We disciple in motion. We embrace the future and we worship with our lives, with everything about us. And when Paul talks about being a drink offering that is poured out on the sacrifice and service of your faith, here at the end of this passage, both the words sacrifice and service are worship words. The word sacrifice is about that which is laid on the altar. And service is the word from which we get liturgy. It is the process of making the sacrifice. He is intentionally talking about worship because he wants us to get to the point that it's not about us. It's about the God to whom everything is given. When that lady came to Jesus and poured the expensive perfume on his feet, it was a picture of what he was going to do when he poured out his life at Calvary on our behalf. It was an illustration. It was a, it was a metaphor of his great sacrifice. Now, Paul has already talked about the great pouring out that Jesus did in the first verses of chapter 2. He emptied himself like the lady emptied that container of expensive perfume. He he poured himself out and took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And that was not the end of his humiliation, of his pouring out. He continued to pour himself out, being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, all the way to the dying point. And not just the death by cancer or by a heart attack or some disease that captured him in old age. Instead, even to the extent of dying in scandal and disgrace in the prime of his life executed as a criminal he emptied himself became obedient to death even death on a cross Paul the apostle says I am pouring out my life this is a drink offering it's me emptying myself on your behalf and this is the call that comes to us Paul says in Romans 12 1 I beseech you I beg you therefore brothers by the mercies of God that you present yourself a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is your spiritual service of worship you see this? God wants you as a living sacrifice. And this is your spiritual service of worship. This is how you worship him. You don't worship him by getting up in the morning and going through a certain routine and sitting in a certain place and staying in a certain building for an hour and then leaving. Worship is you 
pouring yourself out on his behalf. It is your surrender unto him. It is your sacrifice and service. It is you doing what Jesus did as he emptied himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. It is you doing what the apostle Paul did as he turned from a life where he could have been an influential person in his own occupation and he became nothing and less than nothing for the sake of the gospel. This is you, as a businessman, did this last week in our church. A man who has a very significant and important business that he started and grew. And in the process of worshiping with us and studying God's word here, he wrote to me and said, I know what God wants me to do now. And he is stepping down. This is, this is just how God led him. It's not everybody's path. He is stepping down in order to enter a new phase of his life where he's seeking to do ministry to those from other cultures who are here in these United States. <laughs> you emptying yourself. You giving of yourself. You saw me trying to eat that donut, didn't you? I want you to know that the three-second rule applied to the donut. It did fall on the floor, but I quickly got it up. And everybody knows about the three-second rule. As long as it's three seconds, it's safe to eat, right? <laughs> there was one kid who said, that was on the floor. I said, floor's clean. Three-second rule. He said, no. But me and Nathan Como, we ate the whole thing because Nathan <laughs> understands. Nathan understands the three-second rule. The three-second rule does not apply to milkshakes. <laughs> if you've been applying the three-second rule to spilled Diet Cokes or tomato juice, my friend, you are making a violation of the rule. <laughs> the food has to be large enough to be caught where it can stay put, okay? It doesn't apply to things that just pour down the seat into the carpet under your seat in the car, I mean, you can't, that, that stuff's gone, okay? <laughs> Don't try to get that back. I know, when the kids spilled their first milkshake in the back seat in your new car, you're thinking, oh, God, let that milkshake come back up out of that carpet, out of that seat, get back in that cup. It won't do it, will it? It's gone. That's the difference with a drink offering, friend. The donut gets the three-second rule, but not the milkshake. When they put bread on the altar, if it didn't get consumed, the priest could eat it. If they put meat on the altar and it didn't get burned up, the priest could eat it, but not the drink offering. The drink offering is gone. This is the riskiest business you will ever face in your life. There is nothing that's going to cost you more than saying, 
I want to go where Jesus went. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I'm ready to follow him. I'm, I'm turning my back on everything else. I'm going where he goes. Because, brother, he's going to the cross, and he's going to lay down his life. And he's telling you, you take up your cross. You follow me every day. If you're not willing to do it, you can't be my disciple. This is the riskiest business on the planet. It's the drink offering. It's the drink offering. This is what God wants to do with your life. He wants you to pour it out. You can't get it back. It's gone. You've done it. But Jesus said, if a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies... That's when it really produces. And when you are ready to be the drink offering and turn it all loose and take the risk and say, Lord, it's all yours. That is the ride of your life. Let's bow together. Some of you have stood on the edge of commitment to Christ and you knew what it would cost you and you hesitated. You haven't stepped out yet. You're still counting the cost. And it's good that you've been counting the cost. That's important. Is it time for you to say, Lord, I'm ready to be the drink offering? to lay it all down and pour it all out. Are you ready to do it? It's a step of faith. It's a moment of decision. Lord, I pray today by your Holy Spirit that you will guide our thinking, that you will help us assess how things really are, how much it really costs to follow you. And Lord, that you will call us, despite the cost, to be yours. Thank you, God, that the rewards are so great. The wonder of knowing you, of having our sins forgiven, standing in your presence calling you Lord thank you for the thrill of following you day after day so God I pray that you will help us make the decision make the call cast ourselves upon you and be fully and completely yours in Jesus name Amen